to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a music producer. In this episode, I have a chat with On Planets. On Planets is a producer and vocalist based out of Vancouver who's known for his introspective electronic productions. If you're not familiar with this project, you definitely should be, as his music is a refreshing blend of acoustic and electronic influences, and personally, I'm a very big fan of the project. In this episode, we dive deep into his background, looking at his early influences and his journey to creating the On Planets project. A big shift occurred when he started to make music that was uniquely him instead of just interpreting something else. And this is really cool to hear because I think a lot of producers get stuck in just approaching music as a hobby and they don't put enough intention and purpose behind their music. Later on, we talk about the year and a half music hiatus, which he took after getting a lot of solid traction with the On Planets project. He went through both a musical and personal burnout and decided it was best for him to put the project on hold. He talks about what he learned during this music hiatus, how he would have done things differently, and how he built up his confidence and routine to again start releasing music. On the production side, we talk about his typical writing workflow, including how he wrote and produced his latest single called Sticks. He talks about the analog setup that he has and how that has really helped his workflow, offering some great advice for really inexpensive entries into the analog gear world. On Planets is currently working a full-time job outside of music, so we talk about how he balances both work and music to keep a consistent musical output. We talk about how non-music jobs are often undervalued and how to find a 9-to-5 job that enables you as a creator. As I mentioned earlier, On Planets just released his first single in over a year and a half called Sticks. I'm a really big fan of the record. That's part of the reason that I brought him on this podcast because I wanted to talk about it. I'll play you a preview of it as we slide into the interview so you can get a feel for his music. With that, let's get right to it. Here's the Idiom Podcast with On Planets. to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Sean Morton, who releases under the name On Planets. Sean, how are you doing today? Hey, not bad, man. How are you doing? Not too bad. So as always, I'd love to start with a bit about your background in music. You can go back as far as you'd like, but I'd love to learn what got you into music and later on music production. For sure. I guess um, I, I've pretty much been playing music as long as I can remember. I think I started out with... Uh, Piano. I think piano was the. It's funny. Like I can't even. Uh, I'm not even sure which was the first instrument I, I, I yeah. played. But I think I think I started with piano lessons and then um, kind of you know got a little bored of that uh, as a kid and and so my parents were like, okay, another instrument. Uh, so violin was the second one. Both you know I both started out doing classical music. Again, kind of got bored. Uh, so from from there I started playing like fiddle music, I guess that was a little bit more, uh, I don't know, interesting or engaging for, for, for a kid when you're yeah. at the time I would have been like five or six. Um, so yeah, kind of just started doing that. And I, I played a lot of folk music actually, uh, on the fiddle and, um, kind of did that throughout my, uh, early years. And then eventually got to high school where we didn't really have strings in the in the band so um there was an upright bass though so the, the band teacher was like yeah do you want to play upright bass and then kind of got into jazz i was playing a little bit of jazz in high school and um got a little bit into singing and you know just kind of like it's just spread from there so um but yeah i i would say mainly I, I throughout you know when i was a kid i was playing like fiddle fiddle tunes um celtic music and 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 then jazz a little bit um but, uh, you know, kind of halfway through that, I started playing around with GarageBand, just making like really horrible, horrible <laughs> music. I, I don't know. It wasn't even music. It was, you know, loops and arrange, just arranging stuff. And, and I was kind of interested in composing, um, I guess, or, or just putting stuff together. So eventually I started writing my own loops and then I was using Logic and then um, kind of started listening to electronic music, like you know, at the time it was like Tiesto and 
uh you know he's a base hunter and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. you know like kind of kind of trashy stuff but you know it's got a it's got a place in my heart so yeah that was kind of parallel to everything else i was doing at that time um and then uh i guess by the time i went to i thought about I wanted to go to music school, but my parents were kind of like, eh, it's not a great idea. And then, you know, thinking about it, it was, it made more sense. I, I ended up going to engineering school. So I was doing that. That was like, uh, you know, that was a lot. That was pretty heavy. Yeah. But uh, during that time, I was also kind of DJing at school and uh, doing a lot more partying than <laughs> I kind of had ever, had ever done or like will probably ever do again in my life. Um but uh, yeah, so so that was like during that time, I basically played no instruments. Like I played no music. Uh, I was just DJing. I was producing, sort of like again, just like really trashy, yeah. crap, terrible music. And then um, it, it was kind of like a like a dark patch as far as music right. goes until I I kind of started getting. I got a hang of school, you know, I knew what was going on um, and I didn't really like being at school. So, you know, I kind of found a way to do all my classes just through uh, like the, <laughs> in engineering school, you know, you're in, you're in a 200 person lecture hall. So like, it doesn't really matter if you show up or not. So a lot of the time I would just get the slides from the, you know, the professor's presentations and, and do it at home or whatever and, you know, kind of figure out my own way. So during that time, I kind of uh, to keep myself sane, I, I started taking music a little more seriously. And that's, that's kind of when you know, my manager, Ron, or my manager today, Ron, uh, got in, got in touch with me and we were kind of working on some stuff he had a, he had a sort of blog thing. They're running some parties in LA. Um, we were talking about stuff then. So, you know, just, just having, having that kind of, uh, a yeah. little bit more structure to it, you know, allowed me to dive in a little deeper. And then, you know, from there it's been, yeah, that's a whole other story. But yeah. <laughs> so. so when you say taking music more seriously, what was that mentality switch like for you? It's always interesting to hear when people, when music goes from a hobby to more of like a career plan for people. So talk about what that was like for you. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's definitely been, I, I probably have a pretty unique situation here. Um, you know, because I, I pretty much have, I kind of have two lives here where yeah, I've got, I, I do have a full-time day job that I actually, you know, enjoy <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, it's challenging and it's maybe not something I always want to do, but, uh, pays the bills and it's pretty good. So I, it's the, yeah. the idea of like a, a career, um, has, has always kind of been vague for me, uh, especially as pertaining to music. Um, I've kind of gone in and out of being like, oh, you know, I want to do this full-time or, um, I think at the at the base level, it's it's always been something that kind of keeps me from going crazy and from, um, you know, I'm, I I spend a lot of time alone these days. I'm I'm naturally I'm pretty introverted, but you know there was a time, like I said, there was a time in my life I spent a lot of time around other people, and I was kind of like a sanctuary, you know. Um, so as far as rethinking how I approach my music, I, I would say it, it was more of a shift in my 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 views on you know what i was trying to create you know for the longest time it was kind of like oh it's you know i i'm doing remixes i'm trying to make like you know edm type stuff that's maybe a little bit more out there yeah. i i don't know i don't i don't i didn't really know what it was i i was and maybe that's what i'm trying to say yeah. here is like i didn't i didn't know what i was trying to do i was just kind of doing it and then um at a certain point it it started to become a lot more intentional and then from there, you know, that was a pretty confusing shift and that took a long time to kind of get over. I feel like I'm just finally getting over that now, <laughs> you know, figuring, figuring that yeah. out now. Um, so yeah, that's been like the last six years for me going from, uh, just doing it for the sake of doing it for, for fun. Um, and then now it's more like, you know, this is something that's really important to me. Um, and, and, and right now is, is a time where I'm considering, you know, not just consider I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to get, uh, get things rolling and, and hopefully I could do this full time. Well, we'll see, but, um, you know, you gotta be realistic. So, so I want to touch more on the kind of full-time aspirations that you have later on, but let's just spin it back to when you 
kind of got going with the On Planets project. I think your first solo release was around 2016. Mm-hmm. I think you had some remixes out before then, but talk about kind of your growth from working in Logic, getting more serious about it and more intentional to actually launching this project. Well, um, I, I, so I, at a certain point, I switched to Ableton. I, I had a friend who was using that, and um, yeah, that kind of that unlocked a lot of stuff for me, but also, you know, kind of crushed me in a lot of ways uh, because Ableton is is pretty tough to use, especially it's a pretty steep learning curve. Yeah. You know, it's a very esoteric uh, layout software. Even the, you know, today I love I love the stock plugins, but they're also like pretty crippling because they don't sound very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like I, they do if you know how to use them, but, but like, you know, that was, that was probably a solid um, five years of, for me at least of trying to get things to sound uh, how it, they were supposed to. So, you know, I was doing remixes, I was doing this and that, and, and then it, it just never, it never really sounded the way that I wanted it to. You know, it was always close, yeah. but not not quite there. Um, I think um, by the time we did uh, Brief Pause, I think, yeah, that's probably what you're referring to in 2016. We did a song called Brief Pause. I would say that was, uh, that was like the first time that I, at that time, uh, had done something that felt like it was me rather than just um, my interpretation of something else. And, and that, and that's kind of really when I realized that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to represent myself, um, create something that, you know, it, it kind of embodies me and, and communicates that rather than just being uh, a translation or, or whatever. So um, at the same time, it still didn't sound how I wanted it to, <laughs> you know, so it was, it was like conflicting in, in a way that um, on one hand, it was like perfect. On the other hand, it was like really not perfect at all. So um, I think I've just been chasing that uh, kind of ever since. So what do you think went into making that first record feel like, quote unquote, you? Because I think that's an idea that a lot of producers want to chase and oftentimes gets lost, especially in kind of the production side of music. So what contributed to you for the first time kind of getting a record where you're like, oh, this is something that I want to put my name on, that I want to share? Well, I think um, at that time, I was really exploring uh, field recordings. I think, and this is kind of the, the beginning of my journey to where I am now, which is, you know, with with electronic music, you can do a lot of different things. and And I think at that moment, I realized that I don't really, I'm not sure if I compete in the in the you know EDM sphere per se, where you know everything's perfect, like yeah. you're using all these plugins and um, getting everything dialed to sound like it's from the future. You know what I mean? I I think yeah. I, I just kind of realized at that moment that I I'm more accustomed, or I'm I'm more I feel more natural working with organic sounds, things that are real um, that came from my life. So you know, brief pause was full of uh, field recordings that I'd taken. Uh, just from traveling or in my life and in my, that one in particular had a lot of sounds. One day I was just at my parents' house and I, I just went around recording some stuff and recording the piano and recording things that um, kind of, you know, came, originated in that house. And if you, if a stranger was to listen to them, it would just sound like a sound. But to me, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's something underlying there where it came from. And, um, and I started tapping into that a little more. So that's, I would say I, I kind of carried that into the the personal space record that I did with uh, Majestic Casual, um, mm-hmm. where it, it was kind of like I'd start a song just taking a, a field recording that I'd taken from, say, when I was in the airport, uh, trying to, you know, waiting for for a layover and then kind of feeling sterile yeah. and, and, and um you know, entrapped and you look around, you see people around you that are nobody, you know, everyone's either going home or leaving home. No one's, yeah. except for the people that work there, you know, no one's actually in any place. So, you know, an example like that, I would throw in just a, a recording, like a minute, minute and a half that I'd taken, say in an airport like that. And then, you know, build something around that, that feeling. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of the times that would be taken out or chopped up or whatever in the end. But, um, I think that's that's sort of what I tapped into there was um and then that started with brief, brief pause it was it was like taking sounds that had come from my life that are that are real and then um somehow engaging whatever 
uh, vibe that I had at that time or, or headspace. I think that's a crucial idea. And going back to what I said earlier, that oftentimes gets lost, putting an intention behind a record that you're creating Absolutely. and personalizing it to make it distinctly and uniquely yours. I think in mm -hmm. the like pre-processed splice samples and perfect presets and isotope will mix your track for you and lander Absolutely. will master it for you era of production. Absolutely. There isn't a lot of people forget to put their personality into their music because it's easier 100%. to not, and they don't have necessarily the right guide. So I think it's really cool to hear how you had an intention, like this is what I want to do. I'm observing what's around me and I want to record this and I'm going to put this in and nobody else has this recording of a sample in an airport on this specific day. Like, I think yeah. that's a really valuable lesson for anyone listening. Absolutely. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's almost easier. It's almost easier to use perfect sounds. Yeah. Like, like you said, in this, in this day and age, you know, you can, there's, there's vastly more, uh, or vastly easier access to perfect sounds than there are to imperfect ones. We were talking a bit before this episode and he took pretty much like a year and a half hiatus. Talk about what it was like before you kind of hit that year and a half hiatus between your, um, brief pause record and before you kind of took that break. Sure. Well, so, so I did, I did brief pause and then I did, uh, I can't remember. I'd have to look at my Spotify page. I did. I did a couple of things, and then I did. Um, at, at that time, you know, I was working with uh, my manager Ron, who who's been a huge, huge, huge player in um, in this project. I, we we always joke he's the silent partner in, on Planets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, I, I remember one day we we were talking, and uh, we'd landed. Um, basically majestic casuals interested in doing a single, and then you know that turned into an EP. So. Uh, that that was kind of a momentum swing that I that I felt, and I um, I did f those four tracks uh, for that EP in probably 2017. That was right after I'd finished school, so I graduated, kind of packed up. I was living in the city. I I yeah, I was living in an apartment right right by the, the the train station. There was always people around. It was really noisy. Like the train literally went out past my window. So <sighs> in the summer, it would be like you know, yeah, yeah. either either you're sweltering inside or you have the <laughs> door open or the window open, and it's and it's just like so loud every two minutes. Um, so yeah, it was it was a lot for me, and I and and especially you know taking the bus every day, just being around people all the time. That was kind of the end of of my time as as someone. Um, outward facing and, and um, yeah, I, I, I was like, you know, I want to, I want to spend some time with myself. So I kind of moved, I moved really far away from the city, um, a lot farther than I anticipated. I just, you know, I, th I thought, oh, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it'll be great. I'm going to be uh, a little bit isolated, but you know, I can still hang out with my friends or whatever they can, you know, they can come see me. Um, you know, that wasn't totally the case because I was like 45 minutes away from pretty much anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I moved out there. I, I moved into this big space. Like I had the whole top floor of a house. It was probably like at least a thousand square feet. Um, yeah. So, so at that time, uh, landing, you know, getting, I was in that, I was living there, uh, just, uh, kind of like when you have space, you just fill it with stuff. So I was just, <laughs> you know, I had like three bedrooms. One, one was a studio, but it wasn't really big enough. And like I, at that time, I didn't really know what kind of stuff goes into a studio. Uh, so, you know, I just bought some stuff and put it in there. And I, I'd just been working out of headphones with on my laptop for the, for the longest time. So, um, you know, it, it, it was kind of like a lonesome time, but also, uh, optimistic. And, and so those songs, were were kind of recorded, like I said, with field recordings. The like first tour, which is which is my favorite song from that from that album. Um, you know, it starts out with with a recording of me just like walking around the empty house. Like I when I moved in before I'd put anything in there, I just walked around and like recorded my footsteps in the house creaking. And, and that's that's actually how the that's the song starts. Um, yeah, that was like that was kind of it encapsulated my headspace at the time, and it also encapsulated my skills as a, as a producer at the time, which which were like very fledgling. When you moved away from the city, you said that you were just trying to kind of get out from all of the congestion. Were you like planning to like put your time into your artist project because you just finished school? Like, what was your situation like living, work, music wise then? Well, I was um, basically. I, I worked at the same company uh, throughout school during the summers and, and I, I took a year off to work as well and they'd been really good to me. So, so I was basically anticipating a job there, but uh, there was a two or three week lag 
um, before I was going to start after I finished school. So I, you know, I kind of took that and like hunkered down for a little while. And then, um, yeah, for, for about a year I was just working, like I'd get up at 4:35, drive in, uh, work 10, 10 hours, 11 hours, come home, like try and, you know, try and get some stuff done, uh, eat like a chicken leg and then pass out. And, <laughs> uh, and then the weekends were always like, you know, okay, I've got a weekend, like I got to sit down, I got to work on this stuff. And I was just, um, kind of banging my head against it. Uh, eventually, so eventually I finished the record, we released it. I felt pretty exhausted and, and I realized I, I kind of had to move back into town. So yeah. I, I got a place that was like really close to my work. So that cut like two hours of two, two, two and a half hours of commuting every day. And that, that was pretty important, but yeah, it, it was kind of like, I evaluated the situation. I thought, you know, I've spent a lot of time just being distracted by other people and, and I want to, uh, focus and, and really work on this. So, yeah. uh, that was definitely a key part of getting that done was that I was basically sacrificing my personal life to have like continuous trains of thought. Um, but you know, it takes a toll on you. So, so I couldn't do that for too long. <laughs> I, so anyways, I guess, I guess at that time I did that record, uh, it felt good because it was like it, it, um, you know, I, I felt that it did encapsulate, like I said, it, it encapsulated my headspace at the time, but also, you know, my skills as a producer, which, you know, it, it was it, again, close, but not, not there. Yeah. Um, so when I moved in into town, I, I started kind of diving a little bit more into studio stuff and, um, and, and like really understanding the, the, the gear, the hardware. And, and I, like I bought a Rhodes and I, I moved into a little house that had a really nice room for, uh, for a studio. It had like peaked, peaked, um, ceilings. So acoustically yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pretty nice. And I put a couch in there. So, you know, it sounded really good and, um, kind of dived in there. So at that time, the, 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 the personal space record was, was, it did pretty well. And, and I felt good about that. That was cool. It's important to, to, to have a positive reaction from people to, to kind of stoke your, um, motivation. I think that's, I think that's underrated, you know, getting, just getting appreciation for, for what you're doing, especially as an artist where you feel like it's not, not quite there. So that's where I was at. It was like, you know, I, I don't think this is exactly right, but you know, it was cool that people dug it. So yeah. I thought, you know, the next record's going to be great. It's going to be I'm going to, I'm going to make it sound good and I'm going to do it. I've always been kind of stoic about doing everything on my own, um, you know, which is, uh, both a advantage I think, and, and also a pitfall, but mm -hmm. it makes it very cumbersome. So I kind of just, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to make an EP. It's going to be, it's going to be three or four songs. They're all going to have the same theme. They're all going to be linked together. It's going to be like one song, but four parts, you know, it's, I had this kind of grand idea. And that's kind of, you know, that's, I was just banging my head against that and for, for a long, long time until, until I decided I, I should take a break because it was just, I really didn't have the skills to, to do that, to, to like amalgamate that. Um, so that's when I took the hiatus. That would have been the end of, of 2017 was kind of when I burnt out there and, um, just realized that it had been, it had been too long, just, just like head down. Uh, not seeing my friends, not really seeing my family as much mm -hmm. as I should, uh, not going outside, not exercising enough, not eating properly. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I was at at the end of, at the, probably the beginning of 2018. So what did that hiatus actually look like for you? Like when you decided, Hey, I'm not in a place where I need to be right now. Like what were those next steps that you took to get to a better path? Well, I'd say, well, it started out, I kind of like flamed out, um, and I, I like, I wrote a letter, a letter to Ron. I was like, look, man, uh, I don't feel good. I, I want to quit. Just, you know, I, I was, I was, I was pretty choked. I, I think it just like it, it all of a sudden kind of rushed and, and got to me. Yeah. Um, and he was really great about that. I, I really, re you know, I respect that he, <laughs> he didn't take it personally. He was like, yeah, man. Uh, you know, he was pretty, he was pretty choked at the time. Cause he'd put a lot of his own time and resources into it. And, and he was like, you know, you can't just throw this away, this and that. And, and I, and I realized right away he was right that it wasn't, I, I didn't need to quit and not do it ever again. But, um, I, I kind of, we kind of agreed like, you know, just take it, we got to take a break and, and, yeah. you know, later, later, probably 
six, eight months later, he went through the same thing with his own job. So, uh, you know, at the end of that, we kind of reconnected about, about how we were feeling at the time, just, just burnt out. So I would, yeah, it started out, it was very dramatic. I was like, nope, this is it. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to start a new project maybe in two years. That's going to be utterly different. It's going to have a different name. It's not going to be the same. Um, and then, and then I kind of realized, you know, that's, I don't, I don't have to decide that right now. So, so the break kind of looked like I, I just, at first I immediately started spending more time with my friends, just like kind of like, you know, that aimless time where you're just sitting around shooting the shit and, um, enjoying other people, people's company, um, and, and made seeing my, my folks a priority, um, and just like, you know, going for hikes, going outside, traveling. I went to Iceland. Kind of what kind of what spurred all that actually I I had uh the summer before I had DJ I was I went to Palm Springs uh to DJ at, at Splash House, uh, which is a pool party festival and it was a super good look. Like it was really cool. We had a great reaction, but like my I, I ate the sushi right before I left and I thought, oh, that was weird. You know, that's, that's like some weird fish. And I started feeling shitty on the plane and then um, I landed in LA, Ron picked me up and I was like, like full on on my back and his, in his truck. And he was like, all right, like you good, man. And I was sweating and he, I was like, yeah, I think I just have food poisoning. Like just get me to, get me to um, Palm Springs. So we drove there and like, I was just like throwing up bile and it was like it was pretty yeah. bad so we got there it was yeah it was, that's a whole story on its own but basically my my appendix had ruptured Damn. um and like yeah, yeah, yeah. i like i yeah I, I had no idea and and it was that was a weird experience because um that was like really my first kind of tangle with mortality and understanding how fragile you know how how close we are to the brink of utter destruction every day and we just don't even realize it so you know, coming out of that, I made it home. I was basically, I was in the hospital for, for like 10 days or maybe five days. I can't remember. I was in the hospital for a little while and then they, I I was lucky that I didn't die, but, um, I kind of had to take antibiotics for like two months before they could take my appendix out because there was a big complication with it. So, you know, that, that was kind of the last straw for me, honestly. Um, when I came out of that and I was, I came back to my music and I was trying to get it done just, just like smashing my head against it and it wasn't happening. I realized, you know, this isn't worth it. Um, life, you know, life isn't just a collection of your accomplishments or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's just an experience and it's a pretty esoteric thing that, you know, you can't really, it's not, uh, it's not so important just to, just to achieve your, your goals. Sometimes you just kind of have to live it. So that, that's what I did in the year. I just, I was like, you know, I'm alive. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm just going to do stuff and, and, and hang out. And, and eventually I got tired of not playing music. Um, because yeah, that got old within like two yeah. weeks. <laughs> but, um, I think the most interesting thing for me was at that time I started working on, well, a, in my own, in my own time, I, I was trying to be kind of, um, boundlessly creative, just, just like no, no restrictions. Like it didn't have to sound like the project. It didn't have to sound like yeah. anything. Just, just sit down and make, make a beat every day kind of thing. Um, and that was really big that, that unlocked a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's also quite frustrating when you're just aimlessly doing stuff, but it was nice not having, a the pressure of, of a deadline, trying to finish something or anything like that. It was just, you know, I just collected sketches basically on my computer. And then I also worked on other people's music. So, I had uh, my friend Luca, uh, who's who's doing quite well these days. He's he's like a indie, he's kind of like a folk indie folk singer songwriter guy. Like really really yeah. natural music, really genuine stuff. Like pretty pretty different from what I was doing. Um, you know, he was doing some production, so I, I helped him co-produce uh, a couple songs that are like utterly yeah. out of my lane. Just. Um, why well, I think I only technically co-produced one song, but we, we, you know, we were kind of working on stuff and, and, um, and I did some random, random gigs for other people. Like I, I just, like I wrote string arrangements for, um, a buddy of mine who was, who had a song. He's like, I have no budget. Like, you know, are you interested? Uh, you know, I'll pay you eventually. Um, I was like, no, don't worry about it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm happy to just do it. And I just wrote like a weird kind of like disc, like this kind of disco-y, <laughs> Bollywood string yeah. part 
like yeah and and just kind of doing stuff like that. That, that that's how i spent the year pretty much just doing whatever and eventually luca was um he tried to put a, a little bit of a band together so um you know i played violin and, and keys and just did some ambient stuff there and that was that was the first time i had really played in a band in a long time so that was that was what the hiatus looked like that was that was pretty much a year a year and a quarter a year and a half um just kind of messing around doing whatever and and not not having any uh limits on myself so that was that was really important yeah so i want to get back into what that looked like going out of that getting back into writing music but what were some other main takeaways that you really stuck with you coming out of that hiatus you talked about connecting with friends and family working without mm-hmm. any deadlines and just kind of getting out of your music routine working with these other things what were mm-hmm. some of the other main takeaways that you had from this well, I think production-wise, like I, I started getting in, like I said, I started getting into gear, and and um, that was kind of the next evolution of of the sound, and that's um, that's kind of where it's at now, where I have, you know, I have some some stuff in a rack here that is kind of a hodgepodge of random stuff that I've either like I I started getting into these kits. You can you can make basically like you can buy a preamp, a five hundred series preamp. Hairball Audio makes really nice ones. They're called Lola, and so I, you can either buy it assembled or buy the parts and solder it together. It's kind of like building a Lego kit. Like it's not, um, it's not rocket science, but you know you save a yeah. lot of money on it. And also, it for me it was cool to dive into what actually goes into these, um, this equipment. And that was something I was struggling with at the time was understanding how, um, really really how to use like compressors, and and EQ and in what order and you know what how to get what you're trying to get rather than just tinkering with it until it sounds right. So yeah, I did a lot of that. I built a bunch of these these um, 500 series modules, which are kind of like cards. They're like rack unit cards that are powered on a um, from one power source. So yeah. that was a big thing, and, and understanding the gear and how it works from in, internally uh, and how it affects how really understanding how it affects the sound. You can only get that by by tinkering and spending time, not, not trying to get somewhere. Yeah. I think that, that was a big takeaway is, is just like, you know, if I've, I'm half Chinese and if I've learned anything from my mom, it's like, you know, everything takes practice. <laughs> you can't be good at anything without practice. You know, you can be, you can be talented, but you can't be good at anything without practice. So, um, yeah, just, just practice, like just do stuff, do stuff outside your lane. Um, play with, play with either if you have access to analog gear play with that or restrict yourself. That, that's what I like about analog stuff is that, you know, you can't, it's, it's not infinite. You can't just put another instance of it into your, into your track. You just, you just have one or yeah. you have two or whatever, whatever you have physically in front of you, that's what you have to work with. And, and I think if, if there's any advice I could give, um, it's like, you know, sometimes restraining yourself or, or constraining yourself, um, saying, I'm going to get this sound from this thing. That's it. You know, I don't have any other tools. Uh, that's, you really get to be pretty intimate with, with how that thing works. I think another takeaway that I'm kind of hearing with your current approach towards creativity is it's very playful. Like it's you Mm -hmm. playing around with all these different pieces of gear and soldering them together and figuring out how they work. You playing around with, uh, working and producing for a folk artist and then working in a band versus having Mm -hmm. these strict restrictions where I need to mm-hmm. like produce this sound or produce for this label and produce for these deadlines. And it seems like that helped Definitely. you unlock a lot in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more, it's not an efficient way to work, but it's like, you know, that, um, to me, that's, that's how I kind of arrived at making music that I am right now that, uh, feels like me, sounds like me and, and sounds you know, objectively pretty good, I think. Yeah. But I think going back to what you said, it's not efficient, but it got you to where you want. Mm -hmm. And your previous mentality didn't necessarily get you there. So I think even though being playful can be inefficient, and there's times where you can definitely go overboard with just having no direction or aim, you Mm -hmm. have to allow room for playful creativity and experimentation in order to allow yourself to find those things. Yeah, definitely. And then it's a comfort thing, right? Like doing something that you're not comfortable mixing. Yeah, like mixing a a set of drum mics you know i'd never done that yeah <laughs> like i don't know how to do that but i learned a lot by from doing that um yeah yeah absolutely just just expanding expanding the horizons of what you think might 
be included or what your music might sound like um kind of gives you you have to know the you know you have to know the boundaries before you can really understand what's within um your your niche or realm or whatever and a lot of the times i found that doing something or working with a sound that um on the outset obviously didn't seem like it would be uh something that would would fit into into the on planets project or whatever whatever vision i had for for this project yeah. a lot of the time when you just explore it enough like it, it comes around and you realize that's that's the next that's the next sound so kind of talk about when you were in this hiatus when did you start thinking about again releasing music yeah it's a good question i i, I got to a point where um you know the the timing with this was also at work i had i had some opportunities that were that were really good and really engaging so i thought you know this is a good time to focus on that for a little while um and there was kind of like a crossover point where where that was waning i was starting to feel i don't know i i have i have mm -hmm. like a very black and white side of my personality that that is kind of i guess satisfied by by doing what i do at work um I think I went too far in that direction and, and I just started to feel really arbitrary because yeah, anything black and white, uh, that's yes or no, eventually feel like if you spend too much time in that kind of headspace, I, I think it's inevitable. You have to eventually you feel arbitrary because it's like, you know, isn't, isn't there a maybe, you know, isn't there something in the middle? <laughs> um, I was starting to feel like that and, and, yeah. um, I was doing a lot more writing that was the other thing I did when I was when I was taking a break was was really trying to read and write, and and improve my songwriting skills, um, especially spending time around, uh, you know, songwriters, people like Luca. Luca Luca has been a huge um, inspiration for me just in his process and his mindset, and um, so spending time around people like that made me want to write better songs. Um, and I I think I there was a kind of a point where revisited the music that I had been working on. Like I revisited that idea that I was trying to get done before I burnt out and I just kind of knocked one of them out of the park. Like I felt like, mm -hmm. you know, finally I, that I just, I did it. <laughs> like I broke the code, you know, and, and that, that kind of spurred it. I was, I, I had already been talking to, to talking to Ron and, um, again and, and kind of feeling that out. And I think it just, it became apparent that, uh, that the next step was was to just get back into it and, and really try and take a swing at at you know making something whole and encapsulated and and representative of of the last of the last three you know two three years yeah. and what that process has been like because I think that's what I kind of felt like was missing in that in that arbitrary yes or no environment it was like I don't know I don't know if I could I don't know if this really is is what uh, life is about so. You know, there's a lot of ways to approach being a musician or being a producer, and I, I know the audience here is is like very much people in the EDM sphere making electronic music. Probably, probably a lot of people out there making stuff that that would blow my mind if I, you know, if I was looking at the sessions. But um, you kind of have to. I, I think it's most yeah. important, or what I realize is it's most it's more important to tap into your sound and what comes from you that's unique to you than to try and compete in a you know a huge pool a huge sea of fish that that all have access to the same tools to make like crazy future sounds you know sometimes it's it's important to step back and realize like what is what is your message and you know in lieu of spending all your time being a scientist and like nailing down your mixes so they sound pristine and like every synth being like bang on and being able to churn out beats you know stepping like a little farther into the like we said kind of inefficiency of not really trying to do anything or not trying to come up with anything and letting that kind of speak for itself. I think that's, you know, that's something to be said for that. I think that's a tough part about being a producer because we do have this idea where I need to be technically proficient and master all mm -hmm. these things in order to see through my creative ideas. And that's not bad by itself, but if you focus so much on the technical aspect and then forget to bring in any of the creative aspect, yeah. you're not going to get an end result that people are going to respond to more than more likely Definitely. than not. It's a balance. Everything's a balance, right? You got to go back and forth between the two. Because if you can't, if your music doesn't translate, if it doesn't sound good, you know, short of having um, someone mix and master and make it sound good for you, yeah. <laughs> uh, then then it's not going to work. So you know, you have to have both, and that's that's kind of what I've been working through myself. 
personally. So I want to get into your production later on, mm-hmm. but before we dive into that, you mentioned that you're still working full time and you're working on this project kind of outside of that. Talk about what your current situation looks like, especially because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to have full time jobs and are trying to find that time to work on music. So talk about kind of what that process is like for you and if you have any advice for finding enough ample time for music. Definitely. Um, well, so like, yeah, a couple, I would say right right before I burnt out, I, I sent a message to this guy, Stint. Uh, he produces uh, Gallant or Gallant, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but um, his advice was music isn't inherently better because it's produced nine to five. And sometimes evening weekend stuff is is even better. You know, when you have that pressure or when you have some constraints around it, then, you know, maybe it's logistically more difficult, but um, you have to figure out something that works for you because in the end, your work is going to end up feeling like work. And that, that really resonated with me. So at this, at this moment, yeah, I, I, I'm lucky because I have quite a, quite a lot of flexibility in my job and they've been really good to me. So I kind of take it when I can get it. If I'm really busy at work, I, I dive in there doing the best I can. But when it's not busy, when I'm, you know, not expected to be uh, going crazy there, then, you know, I just come home and work on, work on my own stuff. I think I, I, I've kind of struggled in my life. I've struggled to find the balance between being like, you know, diving in headfirst, ignoring everything else in life and, and, um, you know, focusing on basically paying my bills, doing a good job, and then also working on music for the rest of the time. Yeah. Um, and, and realistically, well, I don't know for, from my experience, um, there, it's not like, it's better to go at an even pace where, you know, kind of get a, get an idea of how much time you can spend on, on music outside of work before you feel beleaguered by it yeah. and then and then like push yourself maybe 20% more and then mm-hmm. and then the rest of the time should be reserved for you know hanging out with people just doing stuff catching up like you know spending time with people you care about or or things that you care about or going on you know spending time outside going going on a walk or you know just experiencing new things maybe going traveling but you yeah. know I, for the longest time I kind of went in and out of like 200% and then like, oof, I'm exhausted, 0%. <laughs> and then, you know, that, that doesn't, that's, that doesn't really uh, get you anywhere. If you want to do something, then you have to do it. And um, if that means not partying or not like seeing other people, you're going to have to make sacrifices. So that's, that's, that's a big piece of advice I can give. Like if, if you really care about something, uh, you know, make some sacrifices, but not too many. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the advice. It takes discipline, but people have been making it work for decades, having a nine to five, finding Absolutely. time outside of music. We've had multiple yeah. people on this podcast alone that have done that and found the time outside of it because they've been disciplined to a reasonable degree. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's super feasible, super, super feasible. One thing that I want to touch on that you mentioned earlier that I feel like is really underappreciated or undervalued is finding a nine to five job that works for you and enables you in music. I think Mm -hmm. there's this like push early on for a lot of producers. And we see this on our website a lot where people want to start monetizing off of music as quick as they can because they're like making a living Mm -hmm. off of music. This is awesome. And it is Mm -hmm. definitely a great thing. But people don't put enough value in finding a nine to five that enables you kind of like you said, it gives you some flexibility. Maybe you're working Mm -hmm. part time, but you can still pay the bills and save up a little bit like finding a situation like that. And you also don't have that pressure of having to create for that. And you can save all of your energy for your artist project, I think is crucial. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and I, I also think there's something, um, to be said about doing stuff for free or working with people. Absolutely. Like, like I said, everything takes practice. Like you can't, don't expect yourself to be good at anything without practice. Even if you're talented, you, you're like, you really have to spend time refining, refining yourself and refining your vision. So for me, I've done a lot of stuff for free for friends or for just random people. Um, and you know, I've done, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't do that now. Uh, or maybe I would, I, I, you know, you have to, you have to look at it. It's nice to be in a place. What I'm trying to say is it's nice to be in a place where you don't have to look at an opportunity based on, is it going to be lucrative? Um, especially at a time when you're trying to build momentum. You know, I've, I've, I haven't released music in, in a year and a half and I pretty much have been, uh, like, well, before before my last release yeah, yeah. but i but you know i i pretty much have been not producing music or like finishing stuff for for just about two years um before that was that was happening and like 
you know, realistically, I'm, I'm, I have to build up momentum. I have to do stuff for people and get, get noticed and talk to people and be involved in things. So to be in a place where I don't have to do stuff for money because I'm not worried about that because I haven't put that pressure on myself, you know, allows it to blossom a little bit and to get some momentum so that at least I think at a certain point you kind of crest and, and people start paying you anyways. And then that's the point when you break the ties and you say, you know, I can, I've set this up in a way where I'm doing what I want uh, for the people that I want to do it for. And they want to pay me and they're paying me enough rather than doing the opposite way where it's like, well, I've got to, you know, I've got to make enough money so that I can keep doing, you know, that, that, that doesn't really make sense. So let's talk about um, the latest record that you put out. You put out Sticks about mm -hmm. a month and a half ago. I want to dive into the production yeah. for that because I think there's a lot of cool subtleties that I want to kind of pick your brain cool. about. But let's just first talk about what for that sure. record was for you. I guess the, the conversation with uh, Ron and I, in, in coming back to the project was like, how do we start? You know, um, I had been, again, in my time just messing around, I, I had been working with my dad on this, on this song. We, we would just, we, we talked about it for a long time. My dad's, a, my dad's a writer. He writes a lot of poetry and he's got a book of short stories and, you know, he, he wants to write a novel. I'm not sure if he's going to, you know, he's, he, he's, uh, he just retired. So he's, he's kind of like figuring out, um, he was teaching writing for a long time and, and I think it's a, you know, it's a pretty abrupt thing to finally just all of a sudden not have a job and not have anything to do at any time. So, um, to like create deadlines for yourself is kind of a conflicting thing, but I think he's been writing a lot of poetry lately, but anyway, so for years we talked about this, like, you know, we should, we should do a song together. We should, um, you should, you should write something or we should write something together. I didn't, we never really figured out how it would mm -hmm. work. And then, yeah, we were kind of sitting down and, and I brought it up again and he was like, okay. And then he actually just, yeah, a couple of months later, he just sent me an email with like a poem in it. He was like, oh, what do you think of this? And I just sat down at the piano and started singing it. So yeah, it was, it just felt really natural. And, and the hardest part about that project was pretty much taking his, you know, taking these lyrics and taking a uh, kind of melody that I had been feeling and, and then making it sound right because usually I'll start producing something and then start writing lyrics to it. But in this case, it was like, I had the lyrics, I had the melody and the, probably the chords, but not, not any product, no instrumental yeah. at all. So it went through a bunch of iterations. We started out with something that was like close, but not, again, it wasn't, it wasn't right. It didn't feel right. It was kind of, it was a little melodramatic. There was like a lot of strings and a lot of symbols and stuff. And it was, it was like not, it, it wasn't the right vibe. And then um, I kind of went back on an old beat that I had and and revamp that, change the key, change it, made yeah. it fit, and and that that kind of ended up being the the end product. But um, yeah, so so like I, I had been doing that all in the background, and then kind of uh, got the song to a point where I liked it, and I had a I had a vocal recording that I liked, but it was also I used the I kind of screwed up the record. This is the downfall of using analog gear. I kind of screwed up the DSing and it was like, it was like really harsh in a lot of ways. So I was just like, I was trying to doctor it and fix it because I liked the performance, but the recording was trash. Um, and so, yeah, I've probably finished that in like April, May, maybe even earlier, like January, okay. February last year. And, you know, we were sending it to people and they're like, yeah, this is cool. I don't know. We were, you know, we were kind of just feeling it out. And, and I think what we realized is that the, although I liked the performance, it was very soft and, and it needed a little bit more guts to it. So after a couple months, you know, not working on it, I just kind of dived back in, uh, changed the key again. I, I moved it up so that I could push the vocal a little bit more, re redid all the, the, I redid the bass. So it hits a little bit better. And then, um, redid a lot of just mix elements, uh, and then, yeah, again, we, we kind of had the same reaction from people after that. It was like, yeah, this is cool. Like, this is a vibe. I, I dig it. But no one was yeah. no one was trying to sign it or whatever. But we figured, like, you know, this is this would be a good first release. Just something. It's just like, it's for the fans. It's for people to to know that I'm back. And the the reaction's been really good, man. I like I I I I've been pretty surprised at at how much people dig it and 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 feel the vibe. So, and I think a good metric for that is. At least for me nowadays, unfortunately, I look at whether or not people are getting listed on official Spotify playlists. Mm -hmm. Like I wish that wasn't something that I needed to check for artists, but mm -hmm. it's getting featured on a lot of good yeah, playlists true. too, which is great. I'm sure as like a little bit of an ego boost mm -hmm. just to be like, hey, somebody at Spotify likes my record. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Even though that shouldn't matter more or less yeah, than fans, absolutely. but no, I that's think been to really some cool. people it kind of subconsciously does. 
That's true. Well, I mean, and and that you know, like object at a pure um, objective level, like that affects yeah. how much people are streaming it and how hard it hits the algorithm. How you know who's listening to it? It's just it affects everything. So I I have to credit that to Ron. Ron's mm -hmm. been working really hard pushing stuff, and he's you know he's gone through a bit of a transformation in his career, so he's in a different position. Um, I, I owe a lot of, uh, an infant. I can't even verbally express how much I owe Ron for, yeah. for this, you know, the support and, and getting it to the right ears. So that's, you know, that's a key thing. If you're, if you're coming up and you're, you're trying to make things work, like you realistically, there's a business side to it and, and you need to have the right people listening to your, um, to your music to get it promoted in the right places so that more people listen to it. And then, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard bubble to burst. So I'm, I'm very grateful for, for the help that Ron gives in that, in that regard. Cause I, I'm not a very good self promoter. So we haven't talked too much about production yet. So I want to dive into a bit mm -hmm. about your production process. I think talking about sticks is a great way to get into it. I'll play people a little preview of it just so they can hear what we're talking about. In the constant come around. Believe me, I should know by now Remind me how this goes Broken bones, broken bones No, 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 no Acquiescent to the tone Believe me, I should know, I should know, I should know Show me how this goes Broken bones, broken bones No, 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 no. So the first thing that I want to talk about is your vocal processing I think a lot of people want to sing on their records, but are a little bit uncomfortable. And I think one cool thing that you have in that is the kind of like formant vocal synthy process layers that you have going on behind it. So talk about how you created those layers. Those would be, I'm trying to think back. So that, that would be just, uh, I do a lot of, I end up doing a lot of, uh, like it kind of sounds like a vocoder. It kind of, kind of sounds like a Bon Iver, like a chordal kind of re whatever, but it's not, it's just, it's like literally I'm singing each part, each voice is one, one track. Um, they're all just auto tuned like crazy. Um, some EQ in and out and then, and then squash together with, um, with some, with some compression. Yeah, I think uh, I do that with guitar parts okay. too. Like instead of, I'm not a very good guitar player, but, <laughs> but um, I, I think it's, it just sounds different actually to play each note individually and then, and then have each one in a track. So that's, that's kind of one of my secrets that I'll, that I'll give out. Yeah. Um, it just, it makes it pretty unique. And, and yeah, so that, that one I ended up doing all those parts, squash them together, cut that as a track. And then I like cut it up a bit uh, and reverse some of them to make like some of the chops that come in the background. Um, just to feel, just to kind of punctuate a little bit, I guess. Uh, yeah, vo like vocally, that's I've I've really done a lot of practicing. Like, I think I underestimate. Like, listening to my old recordings now, it's I just sound completely different. And and if you want to be a vocalist, like you, again, you have yeah. to practice. <laughs> um, but at the same time, there's a lot you can do outside of that. But in the end, like being comfortable in the performance will translate to the to the listener you know, there is a point where like, you can't really fake it. You have to be, you have to be comfortable, um, being a vocalist and that just takes time. Is there anything else on sticks from a production standpoint that you're particularly proud of? I mean, I really like the design of the drums, some of those like accent counter melodies that you have going on anything that you're like, yo, I'm really happy about the way that this turned out with this record. Um, I think, uh, well, that was sort of what I wanted to, to hint at you know, part of this release was, was hinting at what the, what it's going to sound like going forward. And, and part of it was, um, I, I've become really attracted to small sounds, like really tiny, tiny sounds. And, and it, I think it just makes it a lot more emotional. So this, this would be one of my first releases that, that, that uses those kind of elements. And, you know, it's not in every song going forward, but, um, that, that, that's a big thing for me, at least that, that, that I like about the record is that it, it doesn't sound it sounds big, but it's small, you know, like there's, there's a lot of really, really tiny stuff in there. I think the groove, the groove at the end, my favorite part of the whole song is the, is the groove at the end when the chord progression changes and the, um, the minor, yeah. minor two comes in and it just, yeah, it like I felt really good when I, I felt like there needed to be one more, like a conclusion kind of feeling that somehow I just landed on that chord progression and it, it was like, Oh, that's it. Put that in. Just kind of talking about your general production workflow, it seems like you've done a lot in the past mm -hmm. year or two, especially with regards to analog gear. So I'm just curious 
2020, what does your mm-hmm. workflow look like for creating and developing ideas? You know, I think a lot of people probably start the same way where it's like just empty project. Uh, let's get something going. Yeah. And I'll just pick something. You know, it's like I'm going to start with a drum loop. This one's going to start with drums or this one's going to start with a, with a chord progression or, or just one note, you know, making pads. Lately, the last, the last um, probably month or two, I've, I've really gotten into making like my own synth patches. Um, and, and I work with the synths that I use are really like really simple, like almost embarrassingly simple, whatever, whatever I'm starting with, it's usually just like, you know, a triangle (laughs) and, and some chords and then a filter. And then, you know, when, when I, when I say I've been making synth patches, it's like, I'll start in, um, I love wavetable. That's a, that's a great one. The Ableton native, um, it's the, I think it's the newest, the newest synth that they've come out with. Before that, you know, I use massive. I use different random stuff, but um, I, I like that one lately because you can get some nice simple sounds. It really like kills the CPU. But so I'll start with just something that sounds nice, but isn't is like too dry or too whatever. And then I'll just make this like long chain with with short reverbs and then filters and then you know like a an octave in it and then the octave is like sent to the sides and um create like a stereo image from there and then make some macro knobs for it and then just kind of come up with like my own instrument in either you know drones or uh chordal chordal elements i've I've been doing that a lot i'll just sit down and be like okay i'm gonna make you know i'll start with some i'll just play a nice chord that i think is nice and then uh go from there until it sounds where i want it to be and usually it's dragging like 70% of my CPU by the end. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty, it's not, again, not the most efficient thing to do, but um, yeah. So if, if I don't use those, if I don't use that exact chord, I'll, I make sure to save it, um, put it in my, I, I'm on live 10 right now. So it's got that nice little um, bar on the side where you can like a, like a, you can assign things to like racks or samples or whatever to a number. So one through seven, you've got a bunch of folders that are just like quick access. So I've got a folder for all the synth patches I've made that uh, I think are cool. So even if I don't end up using that original idea, uh, it's there to access and it's my own instruments and, and, and it sounds like me. So. So anything else like production wise that you feel like you want to cover? I would say the the biggest thing for me right now that I've realized um, is is like I think I mentioned it earlier, constraining yourself or restraining yourself, and and like uh, I definitely get for a long time I got bogged down in in keeping my MIDI instruments. Like you know I'd write a part in MIDI and then have a MIDI instrument and then all these effects and it would just be like going heavy on my CPU, but I want to keep it because I don't know if it's right and I want to change it or maybe, you know, like what if, uh, like I think it's right, but what if I want to change it later or this and that? Um, I find that just printing stuff to audio, like A, it takes the load off your computer yeah. and, and B, it's like that is set in stone. I have to work with that. You know, worst case, usually I, I would, you know, turn everything off and save it, um, put put MIDI track up at the top in case I do have to add some more notes or change it. But like just, just, um, it absolutely helps me finish stuff and and get make progress to just say this is that like this is this is what it's going to sound like in this in this track and i can eq that from there you know there's a lot of stuff you can do after the fact um but to just just put that restraint or constraint yeah. on yourself and 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 say this is not going to change anymore unless i unless i really want to go down 15 minutes of like turning everything back on freezing all the rest yeah. of my tracks so I can run that, that MIDI instrument. And, <laughs> um, but it really helps. And, and it's the same thing with, with analog stuff. So like, you know, you have to go easy with compression when you're, when you're going into, when you're recording stuff. But if you have access to yeah. analog stuff, analog EQs, you know, they just sound different. And, um, the, the gear that I have here, I feel like it's, it's part of the sound. It's really, um, you know, it's not the most pr- like amazing stuff that you would see in a, in a, high-end studio but like um it's just random stuff i've found on the internet like i just i bought these like tube eqs on on reverb and uh you know they sound awesome but they like they i only use them sometimes because it's just it's three what i like is three knobs (laughs) up down that's it like more or less um and it sounds like this and then you either turn it on or off and i like that in plugins too just like you have compressors like up down you know in out uh, maybe, maybe like a knee or something, uh, a couple different options. And then, 
and th that's it rather than having access to every parameter yeah. and you just get like caught up tinkering with stuff and and if you find a set of tools that works or sounds yeah. good then you just use them and make it work like i said you just make it work yeah i think that's 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 probably the biggest thing for me is like having that having putting some boundaries like you do have to have boundaries uh, especially in today's climate when you have splice you have whatever and you just like infinite stuff that you can add and it's easy to be additive um it's easy to just throw more things in or more layers or more this and that and a lot of the time you need that but a lot of the time you don't and you have to have the discretion you have to have some sort of you know boundary i like the physical boundary of recording something through a piece of equipment and then by the end you have a you have an yeah. audio file that sounds like something and that's 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 it. Like I didn't have to think about putting boundaries on myself and not using too many samples or whatever, because it just, you know, I can focus on being creative when, when there are physical constraints. So that's, that's why I like analog stuff. I think a piece of advice with that too, is you were talking about, you were buying these like unput together EQs and mm -hmm. preamps and soldering them together because you didn't have a lot of mm -hmm. money. There are so many options that are cost effective mm -hmm. for building out an analog yeah. studio, like with all the Behringer synths, with some of the more like knock off, but still really quality analog mm -hmm. EQs and compressors. It's a workflow that I think works for yeah. a lot of people for that permanence and for those restrictions. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I'd really recommend 500 series stuff uh, to anybody. It's like, if you don't know where it is, it's just like you get a little lunchbox. That's the power supply. It's kind of like, a, it's kind of like a Euro rack thing where you've got a, 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 a housing that's, that's running the power through your, your units and then you, know, you just put cards in depending on what you have um and it's super cost effective you know you can save up for for this stuff and and like i said if you know how to solder if you um a lot of these companies that sell these do-it-yourself kits like will troubleshoot your stuff so i did one i did i built a preamp my first preamp that i built i used uh lead-free solder because i just had it in my house yeah and like don't don't do that <laughs> that's a bad <laughs> idea so i screwed it up so much yeah. it wouldn't work like you it worked through the di but like that was it and then i went back i like took some of the joints out redid them and then it didn't work at all and then for 50 bucks i just mailed it to them and they were like they sent me an email back being like this is horrendous like you've absolutely bungled this and i was like yeah i know and they're like oh it's fixed and they send it back and it works perfectly now so you know there are there are yeah. blankets but like to get like a really it's a it's a really wonderful, cool, colorful preamp. That's the bronze from uh, Hairball Audio. At, at the end of the day, you know, I paid. Well, I'm I'm in Canada, so things are a little more expensive. But if you're in the U.S., it's like it's like 300 bucks for the kit, <laughs> and like you, you get a, a like a impeccable, like a really really wonderful, cool preamp. And I'd recommend the Lola as well. Uh, DIY recording DIY RE is a cool site they have um these things called color where it's like a it's a color palette i guess you get you get like a case and then you build each case has a dry wet pretty much on three interchangeable little cards and then you build the cards so you can put in like you know a transformer sound like just a, just like it literally just passes it through a cinemag transformer or you know um you can have uh filters so um the the high and low pass filters are super simple it's like 10, 10 solder joints and you've got a, you know, 80 Hertz low pass you can turn on and off, or there's some really cool stuff like the weird distortion and things like that. Uh, again, super, super affordable. And then, it, and, and again, it, like I said, it puts those physical constraints on, on your workflow where you're recording through something and that's that, that's what it sounds like. And if you screwed it up, you got to do it again, but like, you know, otherwise that's there. I'm looking at this website right now and I feel like you just opened up a can sure. of worms that is going to oh, suck dude, my yeah, life no. for the next couple of months looking at it because it's yeah. <laughs> amazing stuff and it is ridiculously affordable. Crazy, crazy affordable. They have, yeah, they have like ribbon mics there you can build for, for 250 bucks or something like that's, <laughs> that's insane, man. And, and so, you know, you get, you get your hands dirty, you get involved with it and you get a little connected to the gear. And then when, whenever you look at it in the rack, you're like, uh, you know, you feel proud. And yeah. And when you use it, like it feels like part of you. And I, I feel like those weird kind of lofty philosophical, again, like these kind of meta meta things by building your, your workspace around yourself with things that like have a real connection to you is more valuable than just getting cool that like sweet Shadow Hills yeah. freaking <laughs> master bus. So like, yeah, you know, um, and uh, yeah, that's that's been a big thing for me and, and, and just it makes me more engaged in them. Um, in what I'm working on and, and, and playing with. So normally at this point in the episode, I will ask you for your advice for newer producers, but I feel like you've done that for this entire podcast. So we'll just sure. skip that question and get into the last one, okay. which is what's going to be coming up for you in the next zero to six months. 
Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a couple of things planned. I've got a, I've got like a backlog of it's important and you know just sorry one last piece of advice. Go it's important it. <laughs> to have backlog and and stuff that you uh, are ready to release or feel like could be released. Um, demos, everything like that. Like it's really important to have that stuff, and that's something I really struggle with is getting my work in progress stuff to a point where they're not just files on my computer, but like you know a, a, in a in a private SoundCloud playlist that I can send to people. Um, where they're at a point that I actually feel comfortable. That's that's the hardest yeah. thing for me, getting to them to a point where I feel comfortable uh, um, being listened to by by other people and judged whether it's you know good enough or cool or this and that. So I definitely so that's kind of where I'm at. I've got I've got a bunch of stuff on the go that I've been working on that I feel good about, but um, trying to be strategic about uh, what's released when. Um, the the main thing that I'm working on is like a, at this. It might change, but yeah. at this moment, it's like a double EP kind of thing. Um, the the idea that I had that I that I started with, you know, three years ago was was this one one EP, you know, four songs with with kind of like an interlude type of thing that that connects them, and um, that basically I've just been expanding on that. So it's kind of like a light side and a dark side. Uh, sounds corny, yeah. but like um, there's two there's two like important musical themes, just like five six notes that come up in kind of every song but one you know one indicates one feeling and another one indicates another um and i just you know i'm i i've finally felt like i can put something together that spans more than just one song that's that's congruent with with uh a lot of themes and stuff yeah. like that so that's kind of that's kind of what i'm chipping away at it's that's not something i want to release from a standing stop mm. though you know uh that's not if i drop that today i'm i'm not sure that would really translate properly so just trying to work on some stuff in the interim and i think yeah maybe in the summer that that might come out okay i'm gonna try and be a lot more consistent this year uh putting out music and also inconsistent like putting out music that doesn't sound you know like just a hip-hop beat or something like that some i've got this one project that sounds like bad bad not good i don't know if you know that band yeah, but yeah, yeah. but somehow it still sounds like me so i feel i feel comfortable having that housing that in my project but um yeah that, that's kind of what i'm what i'm going for a lot of different stuff um, trying to push kind of uh, the envelope of the of the sound that that people would accept as as my sound. I love that. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up for this episode. You can find On Planet's music in the description of this podcast, so go give that a listen as this episode is just about over. Sean, it's been great chatting with you and I appreciate you being on the show. Cheers, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks.